Welcome to the Sailing to Success podcast, the show created exclusively for entrepreneurs and small business owners looking for a safe port in the storm of fast-paced business growth. Lindsay Phillips is the founder of Smooth Sailing Online Support, a company dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and small business owners increase customer service, run their business more effectively, and increase their profits. Prepare to be inspired and learn some practical tips and strategies you can use in your business today. And now, welcome your host and captain for this 30-minute excursion, Lindsay Phillips. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sailing to Success podcast show. So this show was created exclusively for entrepreneurs and small business owners looking for a safe port in the storm. So my name is Lindsay Phillips and I'm your host and captain for this 30-minute excursion. I am the founder and CEO of Smooth Sailing Online Support. So that's a company dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and small business owners calm the choppy waters of fast-paced business growth. So you, of course, can learn more about what we do at ssonlinesupport.com. So in regards to the podcast, my goal here is to motivate and inspire you to achieve more as an entrepreneur, but also share some really practical tips, business building strategies that you can use to be more productive, boost your profits, and obviously grow your business. Um, Today we're going to be covering a really popular topic and such an important topic uh, with branding and websites with my special guest today. Uh, Ben Siegel with Versa Studio. So he is the owner of Versa Studio, managing website and branding projects for clients large and small. So he's been doing this for about 15 years, uh, handling project management, web design and development. He specializes in the Expression Engine CMS, which I'm going to have to ask you about, Ben, and enjoys showing clients how painless website updating can be. So he is active in the entrepreneur community since 2008. He organized the Madison Web Design and Development Meetup and volunteers with Junior Achievement, which is awesome. So thanks, Ben. Thanks for coming on my show. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, So I'm just going to dive in here. What on earth is CMS? So CMS stands for Content Management System. And while people do like to argue about this, it's a small point as to whether WordPress can can or cannot be considered a CMS, but for the purposes of making websites, it, it basically is. So WordPress is the most common. Um, yeah. It's also free, so that often drives a lot of people to use it. And you've got a lot of prepackaged themes and a lot of widgets and things you can get going quickly. But there are other uh, tools that do this as well. Expression Engine is one. Uh, Craft is another that we've started working oh, with. Okay. And there's dozens, even hundreds more, uh, depending on your special needs as a business. There's learning management systems. There's System, systems designed for specific niche industries, the list is pretty long. I, I'm sure it is. It always blows me away at the options that are out there, you know, not only for like plugins, designs, apps. I'm like, it's how you keep up with it, I don't know. <laughs> it, it can be overwhelming. I think most shops probably specialize in one or two or three pieces of software and just work with those. It's hard to be an expert in everything. Yeah, exactly. Now, I know you kind of tell people to avoid proprietary CMSs. What do you mean by that? So a CMS is just a piece of software, uh, much like an app on your phone is or Microsoft Word is a piece of software. Um, Most CMS run on a web server somewhere, and you interact with them either as a developer by writing code and talking to the database or as a user or a business owner by going in through your web browser and making changes or updates to your site. So there are lots of options out there among open source like WordPress um, or, or paid systems. 
And the better ones tend to be supported by a vendor, whether they have a if they have some costs associated with them, or supported by someone who specializes in that tool. And they'll have a user community of thousands, tens of thousands, or even hundreds of thousands in the case of really popular uh, software like WordPress. Right. So when you get into one, if it's, if it's in use, if it's got a community, if you see there's active development and people building add-ons and plugins for it, you can reasonably assume like, okay, yeah, a lot of people use this. That says something about it. But if you go to some agency and they say, hey, we have this great CMS that we built and our clients love it, well, that's really nice. But businesses come and go. So right. it goes away. Now you're stuck with a piece of software that somebody wrote in a basement somewhere and nobody knows what it is and no one knows how to work on it. And you've got, you may have invested a lot of money and time right. putting your content into that system. So we generally recommend people avoid proprietary CMS, especially when there are so many good ones already yeah. out there. That makes sense. Um, now, I know you've also written a book, uh, Website Planning for Small Businesses. Yes. And, which is awesome. Um, I just got my copy. Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to have to dive into that soon. Now, you talk about, obviously, I'm sure you do in your business, repeated issues that keep coming up. Um, so what kind of issues do you, do you often see? Well, we see a lot. Um, number one is failure to plan. So it's still kind of puzzling to me how it is that people can undertake projects in the thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars and not plan them properly. Um, I, I think it may have something to do with the sort of um, the service nature of the work, uh, the design side. Like if you're if you're building a house, um, everyone knows you need a blueprint. Everyone yeah. knows you need to figure out number of rooms and number of bathrooms and fin finishes and roof and hundreds, thousands of points to figure out. And when that home starts being built, you can drive by and see the construction. And even if you don't understand how a particular thing is, is put in, like mm -hmm. I can't frame a door to save my life, <laughs> I know what framing a door is, and I can see that there once was a space, and now there's a nice, smooth, opening, closing door. But when it comes to websites, a lot of the, the steps in the process are invisible or unclear to people, um, and that may have something to do with the, with the failure to plan. So that's, that's really the number one thing, again and again. I think people get excited. They're like, you know, they have a vision, and they just – kind of blindly dive in just out of pure passion instead of people get impatient, right, for results. Yeah, that can happen. They, they kind of jump to the, the end product that they want to have mm. without all the steps that are going to get them there. Absolutely. Um, so I'm assuming you obviously help people with the planning end of things. We do. We do. Um, the, the first step, and I'm, you know, I had a, a conversation with a, a, a web veteran, someone with you know, more experience than I and running a successful agency in town. And I was describing my woes in, in this next piece I'll mention. And he yeah. said, well, maybe you need to rename it. So it's a brand, a, a branding issue within the name of something. This something is called a needs assessment. So right. it doesn't sound real sexy, but it's really <laughs> important. It's basically taking a look at where a business has been, where they are now and where they're going, looking at their market, their customers, their competitors, all of their marketing. The more time you get to look at their marketing, the better and then developing a roadmap for what they're going to do. Right. And that roadmap in, in our uh, side usually includes a website, but it may include branding. It may include direct mail, new business cards, uh, new, new logo. There's a whole bunch of things that, that could be done, but none of those things should be done until the business is actually assessed and we figure out where they're at. Okay. And this, is, this isn't a new concept at all mm -hmm. in, in many um, arenas of business people do business audits they do financial audits there's all sorts of things that 
relate to this. But when folks come to us and want to build a website and we say, hold on, hold on, let's put the brakes on. First, who are you and what are you trying to say and who are your customers? Some of them aren't used to that. It can be a little yeah. So we try to make the case that, that proper planning, starting with a needs assessment, will actually get people a better result that's aligned with their business goals rather than just what we think maybe they wanted. That's so true. And it's like, and a lot of people too don't think about their customer avatar. And so therefore you have to plan a website that's going to attract and engage your customer avatar. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I like to use the example of the California skate shop or skate and surf shop versus the 150 year old bank. They each have a very different clientele, a very yeah. different uh, look. Even when they pick up the phone, the surf shop can get away with saying, hey, it's a beautiful day on the beach here. What can we help you with? If, if you get that at the bank, you're going to wonder, did you step into it? <laughs> What's going on? And on the flip side, uh, the bank needs to be buttoned up, suit wearing. Mm. Everything, even the decor in the lobby needs to give a message that we're here. We're taking care of your money. We're not screwing around. If you built a surf shop that looked like a bank, people would walk in and look around and walk out because yeah. you speak to them. Exactly. So it's very important to figure those things out uh, before you spend a lot of time and money building a website. Totally. Do you find that some people get hung up on, oh, I want this color or I want you know, this fancy button here or there on their site when, again, they're not necessarily thinking about the customer and the end goal? Sometimes. Sometimes folk will, folks will let ego get in the way um, or we'll, we'll let what we call um, subjective design considerations like we need more blue uh, override objective considerations like we're not sure that this color red, you know, represents the feel that we're going right. for. That latter statement people can relate to. The former is just, okay, so you want blue, but what's your rationale? It's just, it's a color. You like blue? Great, get a blue car. You know, it doesn't necessarily fit yeah. the needs. And sometimes people will confuse the, the website audience. They think that their customers are like them and are going to want what they would want to see when in yeah. fact their customers may be nothing like them. Um, so we always try to bring it back to, well, who is this for? Yeah. Like who, who, who is purchasing your products or services? And with luck, we can rein people in when they go off on design tangents like that. Awesome. And then obviously with the needs assessment, uh, I'm assuming, you, you, again, talking about who is their audience, what are their goals, um, do you really hone in on what their brand identity is and, and how to create that? And of course, for my audience out there who don't understand, how would you explain brand identity? I guess I should backtrack a bit. Yeah, that, so that's a good thing to, to, find, to find straight away. So a brand is, among other things, the the, impre the expression of your business in every form, and it's also the impression that people get when they see your logo, hear your business name, uh, think of you, uh, pull that business card out of the stack. And so it starts with the most recognizable things like a logo. Um, if you think of logos like Nike or Reebok or Coca-Cola, um, they're iconic, they're recognized all over the world, um, and they were designed very specifically but even a, a local business here in town, we have a place called the Chocolate Shop, and their logo is a, uh, a cartoon cow licking ice cream cone. I don't think cows actually eat products made from their own <laughs> materials, but it's a cute, it's a cute logo. Um, it's a little amateurist, frankly, but it works for them, and it's been around for decades. And if you see it, you know, oh, that's the Chocolate Shop. 
And that may be the extent of the impression is like, oh, that's the chocolate shop, but that means you're, you're recognized. So you start with a logo. You also need some kind of color palette. Never use red for a hospital. Um, no. A set of, of fonts or typefaces that you're going to use in your print and, and digital material. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we get into things like the voice of the copy, like the writing style, yeah. as well as guidelines for photography and, and graphic design. So you can get really, really detailed with the branding guide, but the, at the bare minimum, you need to have a, a logo, a color palette, um, and choices of, of typefaces. And, and you help, I mean, I know you do the web design, but you help them kind of put this together beforehand as well? Dan? We do. Okay. We do. The other thing about a brand is that it kind of sets the stage for everything that you do. Right. So if you think about it, we, if we pick a, a business at random, um, I always like to point to restaurants because people eat there and they get it, like they know what a restaurant experience is like, mm-hmm. where if you say, uh, you know, high-end plumbing supply, people draw blank because maybe they're not familiar with parts. Uh, so as a restaurant goes, obviously there's going to be a sign out front. Uh, it could be a $10,000 ornately carved wooden sign or it could be a paper sign that was hand-lettered by the owner's kid. One's appropriate for a super high-end restaurant. The other might be appropriate for a really tiny, divey takeout joint that nonetheless has really good food. When you go into that restaurant, you're going to get a menu. Mm-hmm. There's going to be signage. Uh, there's going to be countertops. There might be business cards out by the register if they offer catering. And there's even, you can even take it as far as interior design. You know, restaurants have very distinct looks. Yeah. When people start a new one, they spend an awful lot of money remodeling it to look like their restaurant rather than whatever was there before. So all that stuff goes into to creating a brand and then goes hand in hand with your website because that's a, like an extension of your brand. It's so if someone goes into a restaurant and has a certain experience, they come back to your website to check the specials for the next week. The website should speak to the experience of being in the restaurant rather than being some random thing that doesn't match at all. Right. Now explain to people how kind of brain consistency plays a role and how important that is. So being consistent is important because you've got a, you've got a base message you're trying to communicate and you always want to, to speak with that same voice and use those same elements so that you are recognizable. Um, inconsistency uh, just if we think about politicians, I, I guess I'd rather not, but if, if we think about this <laughs> moment, and I apologize in advance, when people say things that don't match what they've said before, yeah. or say things that are incongruent with, with the facts or with what you're, it might be like someone standing on one leg saying, I have both feet firmly planted on the ground and you can see that they don't and now you don't believe them anymore. Right. So when a business has a really diffuse or undefined brand, like take that restaurant, if their logo comes one time it's distorted, one time it's, it's in the wrong color, one time it's like printed so it's falling off the page, or one time they forget to put it on the paper. Although people don't necessarily recognize this consciously, subconsciously they're thinking something's wrong. Right. If you go to their website and the copyright is from five years ago and it doesn't work on their phone, they're also feeling like something is wrong. And people will, depending on how badly they want the product or service, put up with a certain amount of wrong. I don't know. My business is not like I don't, people don't just come to my door and hand me money. So I, I believe it's important to, to keep that stuff up. Uh, yeah. And I think it's like for me, when I, when I see um, inconsistencies, I sort of feel like maybe that company doesn't have their act together or are they really successful? I mean, they may be completely successful, but that's sort of like 
an image or a thought that it portrays. Yeah, it kind of sends the message that, that, that they don't care. Yeah. I do want to add a caveat in, though, because I see this quite often. On the web, the classic example of a website that's really terrible in almost every way is Craigslist. But Craigslist uh, should never be used as an example of, well, they're doing fine. Why do we have to do something nice? <laughs> Craigslist has been around a really long time. They charge for almost nothing. And they've established a foothold in hundreds of major cities around the country and smaller cities. And they're just known. They're really well known. And since it's almost all free, it's like, yeah, it's a little pain in the butt to use, but it's, it's Craigslist. You know there'll be a lot of whatever you're looking for on there, mm -hmm. like you need to, you know, to sell your washer or dryer or something like that. Um, also take something like a plumbing supply business, which I come back to. They deal with contractors who pull up in dirty trucks all day and buy a lot of parts, and a lot of it is face-to-face -face or over the phone. Um, their sign-out front is a little crooked, and their website is really out of date. But if they're doing well, if they're bringing in money, they haven't had to lay anyone off, things are going well, maybe they don't care. Now, they might do a lot better if they yeah. branded properly and took care of all these things, but to them, it's like they wake up in the morning and there's business, and it's just not a priority for them. So yeah. there are some businesses that, that succeed despite not having a good brand, the challenge then is telling them, well, like, look where you could be if you did all, if you had all the success this way, imagine how good it will be if you actually. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you sort of touched on upon it a little bit there talking about, you know, if, if the website shows up nicely on my mobile device. Um, so can you talk about, you know, responsive web design for a little bit? Cause we are in the mobile age, as they say. Yeah. So this is becoming more and more known as, as, more and more people use smartphones, not just to make phone calls and text, but to mm -hmm. get online. Generally speaking, um, the younger someone is, the more likely they are to use their phone, even as their primary device. So, and this is something I like to remind business owners of, because they'll say, oh, why do we need to spend, spend so much on this? Or why is this so important? And I'll say, look, you guys are 50 to 60, right? Many of your clients are in their 20s. They live in their phone. Well, that's not something I like. I think it's actually really damaging human communication and taking people away from each other. Yeah. But it's also a fact of life. So these folks are, they're on their phone all the time. And if they want tickets to a show or they want to find out how late a restaurant is open or if they want to look up any random thing, out comes the phone and they look it up. If they go to your site and they have to pinch and scroll and poke around because it was built seven years ago and it doesn't work mm -hmm. on the phone, that's friction for them. That's just extra work and more complication that they that they don't need. Yeah, you know, I've done that point. where I've like totally bailed. I'm like, no, I need to find a better site or I need to find a better something because this is just too painful for me. Yeah, or, now some people, if they really want the information, will go to yeah. a bigger screen and work through it. But, but you know, I don't I don't want to rely on someone's goodwill to switch devices to find me. Like that's that's putting yeah, too yeah. much of a barrier in front of them. Um, you know, uh, this is, we're not selling some limited edition coveted thing where people we expect people to go on a treasure hunt. You want to minimize friction as much as possible. They come to your site, it loads fast, it works on the phone, they can find everything they need right there without having to do anything else and then click to call you if they need to. Yeah, I love those All ones. those things that make things so easy. I know. Now, aren't most websites nowadays automatically responsive? Like, is there, I know some, I remember back in the, well, back in the day, I don't know how far ago it was, but remember you had to like make, have your website, but you also had to have like a mobile website that was like separate, but now it's more like your website is just responsive. Well, I would say for, for most of your listeners, if, if, if one of your listeners is planning to spend several hundred thousand dollars on a web project, they might consider making a, a mobile only site 
or otherwise dividing things up. Because when you have that kind of budget and you have a huge audience, sometimes there's a, a value to, to splitting things out mm -hmm. for screens. Uh, for example, there's some really high-end interactive features that might, you might just need a big screen to, to access yeah. them. But generally speaking, for, for most businesses, these days you're going to build something that right out of the gate works across all modern devices. That doesn't mean you have to target the very first iPhone or get something that's, that's way out of date, but you want to get the last you know, couple years worth of devices. And, and the way responsive device, sorry, responsive web design yeah. works in a nutshell is the, the, the structure of the site is, well, it's responsive. So it responds to whatever screen is given. You can check this on your, your PC or your laptop by just opening a site in your browser and then shrinking the screen gradually, or shrinking the browser window, that is, to see how the, the elements collapse or hide or shrink or grow mm -hmm. or reposition themselves depending on how much screen area you have. So you go from a monster screen to a small tablet down to an iPhone. It's still the same site, but the site is, is repositioning things and shuffling things around to give you a better experience based on what kind of device you have. So that really... That's built in. Any designer doing any kind of decent work today, that's built in. That's a given. Yeah, it's, not, awesome. it's not optional anymore. Yeah, which is good. Makes life a little bit easier. Um, well, yeah, for anyone on a phone, yeah, it's a must. Definitely. Now we, I know we touched upon, you know, some of the repeated issues that come up. Planning, obviously, being one of them. Um, so what other issues do you see or maybe what are some of the best practices for building a website or updating your website? Right. So I guess I can talk a little bit about the planning and maybe I can go into this needs assessment a little more because that's yeah. the, the result of a needs assessment is typically like a roadmap. Like, mm -hmm. okay, here's all the stuff we figured out and here's what we're going to do about it. Um, it just creates a lot of clarity for folks. And this is actually, since this is the first step in the planning process, I'll I can walk through it. So the first, the first thing to note is that clients often don't know what they don't know. So they know their business really well. That means they know how to run it and they know their product or service and they can explain its value to you. But a lot of these folks are working in the business instead of on the business. And they're so busy with the day-to-day -day stuff that they're unable to get, get some distance from it so they can see the bigger picture. Right. So when you come in as a third party, whether you're a designer or an agency or consultant, you can see things that they can't. So one of the things I like to do is uh, it's called a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be complex. You can just create three or four or five points for each one of those items and, and present it. And you may find that the business owner knows the majority of these things, but sometimes you find a few surprises in there that can help them realize, wow, I didn't know our competition was, you know, doing so well on the web or, or alternately, I didn't know our competition websites were so horrible, I thought they were pretty good. Well, no, they're terrible. So then you have an opportunity there to make something. Yeah. You also find out things, for example, take this, this uh, plumbing supply company. Maybe you meet with them and the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, we've got to get on social media. I hear that Twitter and Instagram are really big with these, these young kids and we've got to be on there and we want you to help us with that. And they think they know it's going to be valuable to promote them. Do a little research and you find out that Again, the people buying plumbing products are, are grizzled guys in pickup trucks <laughs> yeah. getting dirty. They're not spending the day on Instagram taking, no, taking photos of the food. It. Maybe what they need is really simple, uh, a really simple email campaign because they read email on their phone, giving them something that they can 
React on right now, like 10% off all fittings, you know, the first Monday of the month or whatever it is that they, they decided to promote. Yeah. And so as you dig through these things, you can help the client find out what will actually work for them rather than what they perceive will work for them. Yeah, and what to kind of invest your energy and money into versus just jumping on the next bandwagon and, and running with it. Right, right. So as we look at needs assessment, we can break that down into, into six pieces. Um, and again, this is just our way of doing it. There are many other totally valid ways of doing one. Um, but like with any other project, you can go down the rabbit hole of trying to assess every last thing and, and get away from the big picture of mm, totally. building something. So first we look at the company. So we need information about their size, their unique selling proposition, their goals, and their challenges. We look at their current marketing. So what are they doing? Uh, what is their website doing? And really importantly, this is key, and I hope all your listeners uh, write this on their hand like I write on my hand, notes on my hand so I can see them later in the day. Oh, hey, I wrote something on my hand. I must have to do that. So how are they measuring ROI? So I, I talked to someone a few months ago who's here in, in Wisconsin. He's a very unique business model, which is the opposite of ours. He walks around, well, he drives around. He goes right into businesses in rural areas and pitches them on the spot on a website selling for between $600 and $1,200. Um, it's, it's an interesting model. He takes all the photos himself. He writes a lot of copy. Um, he cranks these things out. And, you know, for a really small two-bay repair shop, in the middle of nowhere was 600 bucks for a year of a website is like probably just fine. But I said, how are you measuring ROI? And he said, well, we show our clients their Google analytics. So they see their web stats. Mm -hmm. Visitors are coming and so forth. Well, that's not measuring ROI. That's just saying, look, you have some visitors to your site. Maybe for, for these small business owners, it's better than what they had before, but it says nothing about their return on investment. Yeah. Are these visitors to their site leading to more sales? Is anything happening or are people just coming to the site and leaving? So that's really important to, to look at in marketing. Um, customers, who are they? How do they interact with your company? Are they on the phone with you guys? Are they on the web? Are they emailing? What kind of interactions do they have? A competitive review. So looking at competitors and their marketing. What are they doing well and poorly? The SWOT analysis I mentioned earlier, so strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And then typically, I mean, unless a business is brand new and doesn't have a website, uh, they'll need a technical review. So looking at their, their CMS, their platform, where are they hosted, are they backed up, yeah. third-party tools are tied to their site. Um, a, lo a lot of, some small business owners anyway, will have this site that was set up for them a few years ago, and they may have a pretty involved ecosystem of using third-party form tools or lead capture or Facebook integration. It could be anything. And they may not know how it works, and they may not have, have no record of how it was set up. If you're going to take over that stuff, um, you, you have to know what it is. Oh, exactly. And see if it's, if it's still serving their needs. Viable, yeah. Maybe they have a live chat window, and they only do a live chat once a month, and maybe they need to get rid of it. So figuring all that out and then writing up in plain English for people can be really helpful. So that's, the, that's like, six, I guess, six points uh, taking folks through a needs assessment. Obviously, it's a bit more involved than that, but yeah. those are the core, core elements that we look at. No, and you don't think of, or I don't anyways, of a web design company that typically goes through all those steps. I, I mean, I do know a couple of, you know, connections that I have that are awesome. Um, 
but typically you wouldn't think that you think, okay, here's what I want on my website and they just kind of go and do it. Um, I mean, maybe that's a wrong stereotype I have, but um, no, I like how you go through all of that. Well, we see a lot of that. And to be fair, um, skipping this whole process doesn't mean your website will be horrible that it, mm. or that it won't work. Um, but get, setting up a website or doing any, any kind of marketing in, involves risk. You're risking time and money, and there's the opportunity cost of what if we had put that time or money into something else. And so I think if folks are going to, if they really want to make sure things are effective rather than just yeah. existing, uh, it's important to figure out what you're going to do and have rationale for doing it. Another uh, advantage to this is that sometimes we can dig into something deeply and find out that this big idea that someone had, for example, we want our customers to be able to log in and see their orders or something like that that's going to be very expensive and time-consuming mm -hmm. and involve a lot of upkeep and support. Maybe after doing a needs assessment, we find out that that's not really suitable for them. Yeah. And they're not going to spend $50,000, and they can spend it somewhere else and get a better return on investment. So mm -hmm. sometimes you learn when, like how not to leap or when not to leap because something just, like the numbers don't add up. It's not going to work. Yeah, that's totally key. And like you said, I mean, planning, yes, on website design, but in any of your marketing efforts or just business decisions in, in general, it's, it is, uh, I have a couple of clients that they kind of dive in and I have to rail, rein, rein them back a little bit. I'm like, okay, let, let's think about this a little further. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's the tendency of, of many of us because like diving in and getting into the real stuff is maybe more fun. Mm -hmm. I read some study that, that actually having ideas and talking them over like, Oh, and then we're going to do this and then we're going to make it work like this. It actually, uh, it, it creates a burst of dopamine. Yeah, absolutely. It's pleasurable to talk about and conceptualize ideas, but when it comes time to, all right, well, Randall, you got to uh, spend the next six hours working out a spreadsheet for all this. <sighs> okay. I know. Because that's not the fun part. <laughs> exactly. Do you have kids, Ben? I do not. I mentor, but I don't. Uh, I like to say I, I rent, but don't own. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, because it's like I'm minor uh, seven and ten and you see them like planning and all these ideas and, and then they might get something set up and then it's kind of like, Oh, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> but just to see them, which is exactly the same thing you said, you get so excited and with the planning and the visions and the implementing takes work. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to see kids brainstorm and, and what they come up with because in many ways, they're uncumbered, encumbered by any practical concerns. Like, uh, I don't think you guys are going to get a rocket ship built in the next six months in the backyard. Um, <laughs> it, can't, it can't run on the charcoal briquettes that we, you know, we, we grill with. But on, on the other hand, they also, because they're unencumbered by all things practical, they tend to come up with connections that adults may miss because we've gotten into our work in a cube mode and be a little bit more robotic in our thinking. So no, exactly. Their creativity and their imagination is a lot um, less boundaries. Yes. So what do you do with the junior achievement kind of going off topic here? But Oh, so for folks that don't know junior achievement, uh, it's a nonprofit that promotes uh, entrepreneurship, uh, job skills, readiness, uh, I say economics because I've taught, <laughs> this is something I put, everyone should have this on the resume, taught economics to kindergarten class. Wow. Actually, what that means is explaining <laughs> a penny, a nickel, and a quarter, and we're going to save up and have a lemonade stand kind of thing. But junior achievement basically gives people some of the skills, at least in the States here. I don't want to go off about how, 
how what's missing from our educational system, but uh, some of that stuff is missing. And so the, mm-hmm. I come in as a volunteer for five sessions with anywhere from like kindergarten, you know, up through high school grades presenting on some of these topics. And I try to relate them back to what I face as an entrepreneur or sometimes we'll talk about innovation. And so I'll bring out a, a portable tape recorder, a, a disc man, uh, and then an iPod. And I'll also show a picture of like a record player and I'll, for younger kids, this is great because you talk about, okay, I want to go for a jog. Am I going to bring the record player with me? No. Well, why not? And so you get them thinking about what drives innovation and working back from the convenience of the tiny little gadgets we all have now, going back to when it wasn't like that and getting yeah. to see the value of that and make some of those conceptual leaps. So that's, that's a lot of fun. I bet it is. That's great that you do that. It's so good that they have those kind of programs. Because, yeah, I like whether the education system has changed or not, I don't know. But um, they should teach all the economics and more of the technology type stuff, like real life things, you know what I mean? And finances and investing and all that good stuff. Yeah, agreed. Financial literacy is, is sorely lacking in the curriculum in the States. And it's, it would be a, a huge boon to every, you know, every living student to understand something basic like, well, checkbooks are kind of a thing of the past, but kind of how to manage your bank account. Yeah. No, how I credit card works. Real basic stuff. Yeah, no, they don't do it up here in Canada either. Oh, boy. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so um, when it comes to websites, are there any do's and don'ts that you would, um, would you say that are important? Well, uh, on the do side, I, I would say uh, understanding the process um, setting expectations, goals, milestones, and understanding if they can't be met or when they can't be met, like why that's happening. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, maybe this is true of, of many projects. I'd love to talk to a, a home contractor someday and ask them if they run into the exact same thing. <laughs> it feels like sometimes if I tell people bluntly and honestly and directly, here's all the stuff that's involved in making this. Here's how much work you're going to have to do. And, oh, by the way, most IT projects go over cost and, and over time. That's just the way it is. I don't want to say, you know, when we work, we're always late or slow or things go wrong, but I want, to, I want people to be aware of like how very challenging this is to do really well. Right. I think if you tell them all that, a lot of them just, just run for the hills. <laughs> but I think it's important for people to know that these projects are complex. They have a lot of moving parts. They have... Yeah often have a, a team working on them, although a, an individual can do a perfectly good job if they have the skills. Um, and they, invo- they, they require the client's active input. Yes. Unless a client wants to pay for everything to be done for them, from the, the writing to the bringing in a photographer to take headshots of the staff and then a, 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 you know, posing everyone together, there's a lot of stuff that you can hire out, and we'd love to do that for people, but most folks don't don't take kindly to hearing their budget needs to be doubled because there's all this stuff to be done that all this stuff that's going to go on the website. So understanding how all that fits together and being realistic with your expectations, um, it can take people a long way. Yeah. Find the, the folks that we work with the best are the ones that either have a, a marketing background or some understanding of how these things fit together, yeah. or at least are willing to do a little bit of reading, a little bit of research to, so they have a clear understanding of what we're doing and, and importantly, why. It is a lot more involved than people think, that's for sure. And, and the amount of client involvement is more than some think. I, I've gone through the whole process with a few clients from start to finish, and 
And they're like, oh my gosh, it's taking so long. And it's like, well, there's a lot of elements and we want to make sure it's done right from the ground up. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important for folks to understand. And I like to come back to the the house and car metaphor. The car metaphor is good because when people come in and they have a, a uh, they have, I like to say like Ferrari dreams and a, and a Ford budget, um, <laughs> I kind of explain to people like, well, these are, these are all cars and they'll all get you from A to B, but what kind of car do you want? Because they can give you a rust, rusty old Camry, but it, it drives well and it'll get you there. But if you want to make an impression when you show up with that car, mm-hmm. it needs to be something else. Um, and then as the house metaphor goes, it's talking to people about if you can get people thinking about all the things that go into building a house and there are things that they can actually see in process once you start building versus a website where there's yeah. someone coding for, for three weeks in his home, you know, just using some, some coding tools and once in a while sending new code up to be looked at but you're not going to see him writing it. You're not going to even see the code itself. You're only going to see the results of the code combined with the 10 or 100 other things that it needs to talk to to ultimately make a website work for you. So true. <laughs> yeah, I um, honestly, I'm like, I am not worthy to any web designers because it's like all that back-end stuff and all that techie stuff, it just goes right over my head. I mean, I understand the elements of it, but it's like, oh, man. <laughs> It's so a lot I, of work and a lot of yeah. know. Well, what I try to do with this book, and, and I, I try my best when talking to, to clients and non-technical mm-hmm. people, is to frame things in terms that, that are universal, that make sense. Yeah. Like, I, I like to think about it, uh, you know, we could look at the house again. Um, I don't know how to do 90% of the things that you need to do to build a house, but I can tell when a ceiling's straight, and I can tell when the yeah. carpet looks nice and the door's hung right, and I also can tell, I know the... I have a concept of how things are done and I know that the studs go on before the drywall. So like having that understanding really helps me see, well, first of all, are, are they doing a good job? Yeah. But also to understand the big picture of, of building this, this dwelling. Absolutely. And analogies help. Analogies really kind of help paint that picture so you can be like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. People relate better to that than you. We, I never, I like to, I like to say we shield people from the technical. They don't need to know HTML. They don't need to know what PHP means. They don't even need to know what kind of server they have. That's, that's our problem to worry about. (laughs) It's more, we want to give them the the confidence that we've chosen good tools and that we're, you know, we've applied them properly. I don't care what kind of a a hammer or saw the contractor uses. Yeah, true. Want the things hammered and sawed properly. (laughs) Exactly. Good point. So how can people um, get your book, uh, Ben? So listeners can go to versastudio.com. That's V-E-R-S-A studio.com slash book. And if they use the discount code SMOOTH, that will give them 30% off. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And so does the audience. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show, Ben. Uh, it's been great insight. Um, so, yeah. So obviously people can get a hold of you at uh, – VersaStudio.com. Uh, Are there any other websites or information that people need to know? Uh, that's the one. Uh, I, I know social media is, is everyone's favorite these days, but I'm not, I don't spend my days on it. People can tweet at me, VersaStudio LLC, if they like, and I will respond. Um, but otherwise, it's, for us, it's all about the website. Absolutely. And so it should be for you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking your time. Thank you. Have a great one. Perfect. So that's it for this special episode of Sailing to Success podcast. Um, You can go to lindsayphillips.com to listen to this episode. 
um, all my other episodes, videos, and blogs. And so until next time, folks, I wish you a productive and profitable week. And may the winds always be at your back. You've been listening to the Sailing to Success podcast, the show created exclusively for entrepreneurs and small business owners looking for a safe port in the storm of fast-paced business growth. To make sure you don't miss a single profit-boosting show, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes and www.sailingtosuccesspodcast.com. To learn more about how Lindsay and her team can help you increase customer service, run your business more effectively, and increase your profits, go to www.ssonlinesupport.com. That's www.ssonlinesupport.com. Now go and implement what you've learned and come back next week for more Sailing to Success podcasts.